Hello, I'm Will. Welcome to CB Music Club. In the show, we go back in time in our specially created time machine to a random year to look at what was going down and listen to the music that was being made. I'm joined by Chris. Hello. Nick. Hello. And Al. Hiya. But before all that, very importantly, what are we drinking, chaps? Um, Nick, what you got? I am drinking Belgian Pilsner by Avans. Very nice. It's two. I wonder if anyone else is drinking this. I wonder. I wonder. Al. I'm drinking the same beer that Nick is. It's Belgian Pilsner, and it comes in a nice can, and it's all right. I've actually got multiple beers from the same brewery. Avans. Apologies for my Flemish. Your Flemish <laughs> delivery. Yeah. It's not what it used to be. <laughs> Maybe you need to gargle. <laughs> Maybe. Chris, what are you drinking? I'm drinking Heart and Soul, a session IPA from Vocation Brewery, which is in Hebden Bridge, which is where it's all happening nowadays, I believe, isn't it? Oh, Hebden Bridge. I've been there before, yeah. but I can't remember why. Oh, yeah, of course. For work. Nice place. Very stony. Very wet. Oh. <laughs> what am I drinking? I'm drinking um, Corona Extra without any lime in it because I'm not a... Mexican. Mexican, yeah. <laughs> Nick, what have you been listening to this week? Actually, I've been slightly jumping ahead to our next time round because I've got to choose an album from 1981. No spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers did. Spoilers. No spoilers. Okay. Okay, well, that shut that one down. <laughs> <Shut>. <laughs> Where are you going to spoil it? No, I wasn't going to spoil it other, other than... I oh, know you spoiled it. <laughs> I didn't know whether you were going to spoil it, and now we know you're not going to spoil it. Spoilers. This is going to be a long night, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I had been looking at albums, and one that wasn't on my list to choose, a punk album from 1982 by a band called The Descendants, and the album's called Milo Goes to College. Al, you'd like this, because it's a fantastic album with um, 15 songs, and it comes in at 22 minutes long. That sounds right to me, yeah. yeah. Pretty good. It is pretty good. Could live with that. Yeah. The other thing I was listening to was the first album by Lucy Dacus that we were listening to her yeah. in Singles Club uh, the other week. And so I was revisiting her first album, No Burden. The first song on that, I Don't Want to Be Funny Anymore. I really like that. Chris, what have you been listening to? Something old and something new, actually. I was listening to The Jam's first album today. Ooh. I was painting my garden wall in the city. I knew The Jam through one of my older brothers, but I don't think I'd listened to In the City before I knew the lead single from it. But the rest of it was new to me. It's a good album, but it's the sound of a band trying to discover their sound. Mm, yeah. At times, it's really traditional rock and roll. There's times when it's very, very punky, very much like The Clash. They sound a bit like The Stones, a bit like The K. It sounds a bit, and it hasn't really developed that distinctive jam sound because obviously fairly early on in their career the jam did develop quite a distinctive and, and very recognizable sound and it's a very mixed bag good very good but it's very much pulling together all their influences before actually settling on the mod revival so is there nothing 
nothing else well known on it, like A Bomb and Warder Street and down the tube station at midnight. Are they later? No, that's yeah. so much later. That's so much. Is much that in later. Setting Suns? Um, yes, they put two albums out in 1977 okay. in the city, and this is the Modern World, which came out seven months later. But it was the third album which really established them. Was that All Mode Cons? All Mode Cons, yeah. But interestingly, In the City has a cover version of the Batman theme, which was quite enjoyable. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But done very, very straight. I remember seeing them in Birmingham, uh, Christ knows when. Uh We knew that they'd done the Batman theme in previous gigs. And so at the end, we were just shouting, Batman, Batman. And they were clearly not wanting to do it. But in the end, they did it, which was great. Made our night. Very good. And the other newer thing that I've been listening to is Working Men's Club who are, I'm sure our younger listeners have been tuning into Working Men's Club for the last 18 months or so, but they were new to me. Self-titled first album came out at the back of last year. Six Music do their annual festival, and this year it was obviously online. It's all on the uh, the iPlayer, so I was watching bits of it, and there was a half an hour set by Working Men's Club, who are a bunch of youngsters from Manchester, I think. There's a woman that plays the keyboards and then the guitar, and the bass player jumps onto the keyboards a bit, and they mix it up, which is quite nice. And sometimes it's a drum machine, and sometimes it's a drummer. They felt quite exciting. In parts, they sound like that sort of early 80s, sort of Human League, Heaven 17 sort of noise. But also then they've got bits of more sort of Stone Roses, Charlatans vibe going on. The last track on the album goes on for about 10 minutes and it's like one of those epic Roses or Charlatans singles that just go on and on like uh, Frost and Green or Iron the Resurrection. But it's good. Listen out for them. Sounds interesting, yeah. Al, what have you been listening to? Well, I've been checking out stuff from some of our Singles Club alumni. I mentioned in our last album podcast when we were talking about R.E.M., the Dispirited Spirits, who we all liked very much. Very much, yeah. Their album, or his album rather, has been released, and it's very good indeed. As we've discussed at some length, that one young lad making his first record has done this all by himself from start to finish all production recording mixing everything done by him it's really kind of psychedelic rock reminds me a lot of the flaming lips i think i mentioned that before and it really actually stands up against modern flaming lips very very well i think it's something of a triumph actually he's done a really good job it's on Bandcamp. pay what you want Go and bung him a few euros, quite frankly. The other one I've been listening to is Leighton Kramer, who was a big favourite. His single, When A Love Is Not Around. I think that's my favourite song that we've had on Singles Club. His new album, Dear Apathy, has come out in the last couple of weeks. And it's really good as well. It's the same sort of Americana. It's like country feel, but it's a bit angular and oddball in places as well. It's good stuff. Again, I'd highly recommend it. It's on Bandcamp. What have you been listening to, Will? There's a side story here. I've been trying to read Elvis Costello's autobiography. And to be honest, beyond the first quarter of it, it gets incredibly dense. But the first bit is quite interesting because he talks about going down the market or the record shop, grabbing records, going home, listening to the records, pulling them apart and making new songs from that. And I thought... I'm going to do that. I'm going to start ripping off old folk and writing new songs. I picked probably the wrong person in Rory Gallagher, a self-titled album from 1971. And I just realised how crap I am at a musician because I can't come close to trying to rip off somebody like Rory Gallagher because they're just too awesome. But Rory Gallagher is renowned as an absolutely ace guitarist. I know. (laughs) Give us a break here, Will. I know. I, I don't know what I was thinking. So I've been trying to do pound shop versions of Rory Gallagher. Just awesome, that album. Absolutely beautiful. Famous track is Just a Smile, which has just made me smile. 
If you're going to try that again, Will, I can recommend that maybe no Gallagher would be a better move. <laughs> The year 2000, it was the future, should have been the future, it was all quite exciting wasn't it? The year started with the realisation that Y2K was just a lot of crap and, and the world didn't end. Whoa, hang on, hang well, on, uh, that's because people like me worked extremely right. hard to patch computers to make sure that nothing went seriously wrong. Yes, but nothing happened. Well that's because, because people like me patched computers Nonsense. to make sure nothing went wrong. Nonsense, <laughs> there was still probably the vast majority of people's computers weren't reconfigured. And nothing happened. Well, that wasn't about desktop computers. It was about servers, Unix machines running in the background, running infrastructure. Anyway, lots of people got very well paid well, I didn't. for uh, <laughs> averting a catastrophe that was never going to happen in the first place. Unbelievable. Are you going to tell us now that global warming is a scam or that the moon landings didn't happen or something? We arrived in the future with, I think it was quite an event, wasn't it? I said, Well, actually, no, I just went to a house party in Glasgow, but I think lots of other people had a spectacular time. Fireworks and all that. What did we all do? Can we remember? I went to a house party in Glasgow. Oh well, yeah, we know that. What about Nick? What did you do? I think I was on the streets of Edinburgh somewhere. <laughs> can't actually remember. For some reason, I've got a memory of being in that London with some cardboard 2000 glasses that everybody was wearing. And I think I had a nice time. How about you, Al? Well, I was in London too. I went to a pub with a group of people in St Newington and... There were some Japanese guys in the group and some of the bar staff were a bit racist to the Japanese guys. So the next night, me and my friend Andy were walking by the pub and we found some chalk and wrote like Hitler and Nazi on the blackboard outside the pub and the landlord came out and he caught us and we ran away. (laughs) (laughs) You Che Guevara's you. Anyway, it was apparently a time of great optimism with the start of the 21st century, was it? I suppose it was, wasn't it? So lots of stuff were happening. The Tate Modern Art Museum opened to the public, which was and still remains a great thing and a beautiful bit of architecture. And then shortly after, the Millennium Bridge opened to the public and very quickly thereafter closed again because it wobbled too much. And then it was decided to just embrace the wobble. Oh, no, no, they fixed it. Well, it still wobbles. Let's not let the facts get in the way of a good story, will hey? There were some grim things happened in 2000, which I'm just going to whiz through. Harold Shipman was sentenced to life imprisonment. Harold Shipman, obviously the doctor that was um, convicted of murdering 15 patients, although it later transpired he killed at least 215. Augusto Pinochet was finally deported to Chile 18 months after he was arrested in London, sent over to Chile to be tried, but he never was, and he just remained free until he died eight years later. There was rioting on the streets of London on May Day. Winston Churchill's statue and the cenotaph were both graffitied upon. Ken Livingstone became the first London mayor. Section 28 was repealed in Scotland, which had prevented local authorities from promoting homosexuality. Amazing, it took so long. Towards the end of the year, there were some fuel protests, which I remember these well, but basically people started blockading oil refineries, protesting against the high cost of fuel. And it worked, and there was a proper close down. Up to 90% of all petrol stations closed due to low fuel supplies in the following week. But I don't think the price of petrol ever got any cheaper. On lighter things, Big Brother first aired in the UK in 2000. And Judith Keppel became the first person to win a million pound on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Is she the one that then became a sort of quiz master on TV as well? Pass. 
<laughs> I like what you did there. Nice. A good year for celebrity marriages. Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones got married. And at the end of the year, just up the road in Skibo Castle, Madonna and Guy Ritchie tied the knot as well. It was an Olympic year and it was a Euro championship year. Wembley Stadium saw its final game before it closed. England lost 1-0 to Germany. Oh, I remember that. And Kevin Keegan resigned. As England manager. I watched that in a pub in Newington too. I remember actually the previous year I'd been at Wembley. The playoff, the second leg, which Scotland won 1-0, England won 2-1 on aggregate. But that was supposed oh to be the final game at Wembley. And Scotland won it, so they decided they could definitely want to have the final oh. result being a, a Scotland win at Wembley. So they waited till the next game. <laughs> Unfortunately, nice. they lost to Germany. Yeah, Germany win. <laughs> <laughs> like probably worse. Yeah. Keegan's departure heralded the arrival of Sven Goran Eriksson and all the joy and torment that he brought upon us. Weather wise, not such a lovely day. In October, we saw the heaviest rainfall since 1766, the worst flooding in the UK since just after the Second World War, 1946. And then the year ended with a particularly stubborn Arctic blast, proper snow that just stuck around for. Weeks and weeks and weeks. 2000 was the wettest year on record in the UK. And the year ended with the Millennium Dome closing after a year, which is always the plan. And I think at the time it was seen as a bit of a white elephant. Obviously, it then had a second lease of life and it's become something of a massive music and cultural venue now. Never been there. Anyone seen anything at the Millennium Dome? Yeah, I went to the tennis once, the ATP finals. I saw Nadal wiping the floor with Stan Wawrinka. Uh Uh-huh. It was all right. Good venue for that sort of thing. Never been there. Those we lost in 2000 include Ian Jury, Paul Yates and Kirsty McCall, sadly, at the end of the year. That was the year 2000. Okay. well, thanks, Chris. Okay. well, the album that we've looked at from the year 2000 is Since I Left You by The Avalanches. Good old Wikipedia gave us a lot of data about this band, all a bit tedious. One thing that I read from it is when they got together to start producing this album around 1998, that they bought instruments and vinyl records by the crates. The vinyl records reference, I guess, how many samples they used in the album, which was supposed to be 3,500 samples, which is quite an undertaking. Yeah, I've seen that number disputed, though. Um, I've seen yeah. it claimed that it's only 900, which is still a ridiculous number of samples. They weren't really logging them, I read. They never really intended the album to be released to any great wide spread acclaim. So consequently, as they were putting the first tracks together, they just weren't listing what they'd taken from where. Will, why did you choose this album, firstly? Tell us a little bit about it. It's difficult for me to put my finger on why I like this album, but it may have something to do with that time. Esther and I were pretty close by then, and we were listening to music together, and this one came up. But also, although I can't say these are incredible tracks, they're incredibly listenable to. I don't really like it, but I also like it if you understand what I mean. Not yet. (laughs) Not yet. It's just the way it's stitched together. I think it's incredibly clever, and I like clever music. Having listened to it again, I'm still enjoying it, but I would obviously like to hear your opinions. 
Yeah, I'm not sure that's true in my case. <laughs> yeah, I had a sneaking suspicion you wouldn't like this one, Al. It is a strange listening experience because it is clever and pointless at the same time. It is a great listen and yet meanders to nothing. I can imagine it being a great soundtrack to important moments in your life because it's something that would just be happening in the background while other stuff was going on and it's actually really great for that. And you can also hear the skill in the way it's put together because there's so many samples, there's so much that you recognise in it. You're constantly surprised about where they've put things and what they've done and you're kind of aware that there's probably loads of other stuff going on that you don't recognise at all. And yet somehow... I'm still left with, what's the point of that? Yeah, I really like this album. I'd had it the first time around, back in the year 2001. It was the um, title track, I think, which I had heard, which drew me to it initially. I hadn't listened to it for ages and ages and ages, and my memory of it from 20-odd years ago was that there were only two or three standout tracks on it, and the rest drifted into samey filler. But having re-listened to it now, I think it's got far more than three standout tracks. I mean, it's a massive album, isn't it? And it's difficult to really tell where one track starts and another one ends. But there's a good ten tempo moments in this album for me. But I think my favourite track still remains what my favourite track was when I first listened to it, which we'll come to later. I love the inventiveness of it. I don't really recognise many of the samples in it. And that probably just says more about my limited scope of my musical knowledge, that I'm just not picking up on these things. But it's kind of throwaway, but it feels like walking into a party and then having a really good party for an hour and then leaving. I think it does more than just washes over you, though. I think it just invites you in, shows you a good time, and then kicks you out the back door. I think that's absolutely right, actually. That's how I felt about it. It was a, It's a great party record. I did recognise a lot of samples in it, and actually I think that detracted from the way that I would recognise it as a piece of art in its own right. I could see that getting in the way of it, if you're always hearing familiar stuff. Am I just listening to a DJ playing a lot of my favourite records? Or am I listening to a new piece of music? That's why it's a great party record, because it's all so recognisable. It feels like someone's curating a good party by playing your favourite tracks. I suspect it's probably a great live experience, because if they were doing this like any good DJ, they'd be different every time, and when they get it right, it's great. And they've managed to capture on a record a great version of what might have been a live set and a great party night out. Do we know if it began as a DJ set and evolved into an album or was just purely created in the studio, what the kind of genesis of it was? Well, what I read was that the two of them had just been having a bit of fun together, creating music with samples, bouncing ideas off one another, and it eventually evolved into this album. I'm sure you read that it was originally intended to be a concept album about a young man chasing his lost love around the world and never quite managing to catch up with her. Probably a good idea that was abandoned. But yeah, I mean, obviously they did go and play it live, so it would be interesting Mm. to see how it works live. Well, they are musicians in their own right. Aren't we all? Um, Yes. (laughs) There is no original musicianship on this album, is there? It is entirely composed from samples. That's what I believe, yeah. There's one thing that tickled me, you know, Wikipedia gives you the genre of music of an album, and there was a genre termed plunderphonics, (laughs) which seemed quite a good way to describe what the Avalanches had done. 
Ow. It's been suspiciously quiet. Well, this album is undeniably a work of genius. It is a miracle of engineering. And it must have been hugely enjoyable to actually make it. What they've done is amazing. But for all that it is great engineering, I think it's terrible art. I think it's really awful to listen to. You've talked about it being like background music at a party, and yeah, that's fine. But as music to actually listen to, terrible. The sound is so dense, there's no space in it. It's just layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of samples, including record scratch samples. And the overall sound is just so claustrophobic. There's just no space in it. And some of the music, I think, isn't bad, but I just found it unpleasant to listen to. Now, this is much worse on headphones than on speakers when it can just like be on in the background without really paying attention. But after my first listen to it, which was on headphones, I actually found it very difficult to actually motivate myself to go and listen to it again. I, oh, I didn't enjoy it. It's overly busy. It's really quite soulless, I think. And while there are some moments of humour on it, it just feels like they're trying just a bit too hard to be funny. And it's all just a bit ironic and a bit joyless, really. I'm sorry, I'm just not a fan. Well, I was just going to take exception to your point that it's just busy all the time. I think there's a lot of light and shade in it. There's moments where it strips right back and it goes very, very... And there's maybe only one or two things going on and then it kicks off again and it's got a real ebb and flow to it. Well, yeah, there are moments when it's quiet and there's moments when it's loud. But even when it's quiet, there's still layers upon layers of samples and there's no space. It's got bits where you zone out and there's bits where you zone in again. I kind of slightly agree with you, Al, that there isn't any space to go anywhere. But this is music to do something else to. Yeah, I think you and I, Chris, we don't listen to music in the same way, which is not to say that, you know, I'm good and you're bad or vice versa, but I think that the way that I listen to music is very detrimental to the enjoyment of this album. If I could just zone out and take a step back from it, I might well, find up. that I'd enjoy it more. Well, I think that's completely unfair, Will. I mean, there's loads of music that I think is just, like, joyful and is fun, and, you know, I'm not like that at all, and anyone who suggests that I am, I think we can just take this outside now. <laughs> The thing that pulls it together for me that makes it interesting is the um, the film dialogue samples that they pulled out. That's never more true in um, Frontier Psychiatrist, which is probably the most famous tune off this album. I'm less likely to recognise all of the music references, but I can get where the dialogues come from films. And that makes a different listening experience to just playing music big audio dynamite did it a lot don letts was very much the contributor of lines from films into big audio dynamite music i think it adds a a certain charm it's the only real place that any great lyrics is coming from in this album Hmm. i say dialogue but the second track stay another season was the first to feature the horse neighing it was funny when i listened to that it was like oh wow yeah no that features in a lot of the tracks in this the fourth track two hearts in three four time which was actually in 3-4 time. You must have enjoyed that, Al. Oh, I've heard waltzes before, Well, I wasn't that <laughs> impressed. <laughs> it features some dialogue from Cabaret. It's that thing of almost mining stuff and finding stuff in the music that I'm enjoying. It's not the same as listening to any other music I've ever listened to. Let's just start with track one, Since I Left You.
So the opening track, we all know that opening tracks on albums are really important. How did Since I Left You work for you guys? Nick? I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Why? I recognised it. When you first chose the album, I was like, I don't know the Avalanches. I really was a bit lost. This was the only track I think, actually, I'd recognised Frontier Psychiatrist as well. I recognised this and I liked it. And, you know, it sounds like the Jackson 5. It's got those retro disco strings. And I thought this is quite good. One thing I've not been able to figure out about this track is the female vocalist. She sounds like Minnie Ripperton. She does sound like Minnie Ripperton. Chris, what do you think about that first track? Very good track. It's the most conventional tune or the most conventional single, I think, off the album. It's the one that has most recognisable structure. And yeah, great opener. It was the track that led me to the avalanches of the album in the first place. In some ways, it's the least representative of the rest of the album, though, because you land on this one and think, yeah, vocal over some samples. Interesting. Nice groove. And then it just goes off into plunder mania. I like the opening as well. It feels like an opening. It's very literally, you walk in, hi, how you doing? Have a good time, whatever that line is. You feel like you're walking through the doors into a party or a place and the music comes up and then kicks in and you're there and you're already dancing and you're already enjoying yourself. As a track in itself, Al, what do you think about it? Well, I think Chris and I are just about to disagree again and probably not for the last time, but I think... Even though I don't like this, I think it is a good opener to the album because I think it does encapsulate pretty much everything that we're going to hear over the course of the next hour or so. It's a lot simpler, it's a lot less wide-ranging than most of the album, but I think it does represent fairly well the album. It sets the scene for what you're going to hear. Yeah, no, I, 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 I get what you mean. I get what you mean. But I mean, it's not a song I'd like. It's all the stuff I was moaning about earlier. It's all just a bit busy. It's a bit ironic and yada yada. The one thing that this album doesn't strike me as is ironic. Well, I think we're just going to have to agree to disagree on that one because I think it is laced with irony. I think they've just chosen samples because they love them and put them together in a way that they really enjoy. I agree with you, Chris. I think this is people with a really interesting record collection. I don't see any cynicism in it. It seems like a labour of love, like a really fun project they've really enjoyed making. But that doesn't mean that it's any fun for anyone else to listen to. A bit like our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) 18 tracks, so obviously we're not going to talk through them all. So, Chris, where would you stick a a pin in the next important track of this album? The next important track? That's a different thing, isn't it? It's mixed, so every track segues into the next. But I think with Radio, the third track in, you've got a very distinct, definite tune there. Certainly the second, Say Another Season, does just extend since I left you. Yeah, that was just a a sort of extended outro, wasn't it? Radio, I think, is is a clear new tune in its own right. Not the greatest one, not the strongest one. The first one that really stands out for me in this opening section, although it's really, really short, is Avalanche Rock, just because it has got that repeated Avalanche Rock 
Avalanche Rock and then into Flight Tonight. It's very difficult to talk about it in terms of different tracks, isn't it? There are bits that stand out and they might just be a 30 second bit in the middle of a track. And I'm not even sure it was put together as tracks, was it? I don't really know. The edges are very blurred. There is a bit of a formula for a lot of the tracks on the album where the track will carry on a theme that's been developed in the previous track and then bring in a sort of main theme for the central section and then develop a, another theme for the end, which will then be carried on into the next track. Yeah, those are the edges of blurred, as we say. Which is what makes it feel to me like a DJ set. Yeah, yeah. I did read that after the album came out, they were then looking for singles from it and they struggled because taking the tracks in isolation, they never sounded quite as good as they did on the album. One thing I noted in my notes about Electricity, which was the first single of the album, even though I didn't like it very much, I did write down that I probably wouldn't mind this in isolation. I think, though, with it falling in the middle of the album, it just gets a little bit overwhelmed by everything on either side of it. But you're probably right that, you know, they're all part of a whole and the tracks don't necessarily stand by themselves particularly effectively. Yeah. We get to electricity and then tonight may have to last me all my life which has got another vocal performance on it that i couldn't put my finger on black soul artist clearly but who it was i have no idea any of you guys any idea about that the only samples in all honesty that i recognized were um, madonna's holiday <laughs> and kid creoles still pigeon was uh, in there. still pigeon yeah the problem with the kid creole sampling close to you is it just made me wish i was listening to tropical gangsters <laughs> <laughs> Can we go back a bit? Yeah, sure, we can go back. I think Flight Tonight is a good, strong tempo's track on this album. Yeah, it's got those kind of big beat drums, hasn't it? Sort of uh-huh. Chemical Brothers feel to it. I'm trying to put my finger on it reminds me of my Age of Chance or something. Yeah, it also reminded me of Fat Boy Slim, although I don't hate it as much as I hate Fat Boy Slim. <laughs> I'm actually not as full of hate as I'm coming across here. I'm really all about the love. It pains me to say all these horrible things about this album. I know, I know. But we'll get through it. Yeah, with your help, I'll get through it. With our help. The track just before Frontier Psychiatrist is Pablo's Cruise, which I'm mentioning because it was the original title of the album. Was that right? Yeah. This track has my favourite bit of the whole album where you just get the massive foghorn from the the ocean liner suddenly kick in. As Al was alluding to earlier, it was originally a concept album about a bloke chasing his love around the world on a ship, which is why it was presumably going to be the name Ah. of the album, Pablo's Cruise. We were talking about light and shade and space. Pablo's cruise is quite 
a muddy, it's a very muddy track. It's got that wobbly effect on the guitar and it wobbles along. And then suddenly you get the foghorn and then you just hit that moment of absolutely crystal clarity, which is Frontier Psychiatrist. And it's like something beautiful emerging out of the fog. That transition for me is one of the absolute key points of the album, heralded by the foghorn. Heralded by the foghorn. (laughs) Everything should be heralded by the foghorn. Frontier Psychiatrist, I think, is still the standout track of the album. That is the one that makes me sit up and listen. Frontier Psychiatrist is not my favourite tune in this. I quite liked A Different Feeling. the one to me that was the most different that's the sort of almost chemical brothers sort of sound that's coming through on that one what it reminds me of is music sounds better with you is that by stardust god i hate that song anyway but then those lovely strings come in and it actually does some quite interesting things then i really like the way that the chords are changing underneath the strings and i mean to me this is musically the the best and the most interesting part of the album i really quite like it very 70s space disco isn't it in a very good way it's it's lovely i can't get away though from the fact that although i do like the bit with the strings you know, the strings are someone else's music, and I think I would probably be happier listening to that somebody else's music. Ah, oh, but would you? Have you never experienced that thing where you hear a sample in a tune, and you think, ah, oh, it's a great sample, and then you hear the track from which it's listed, and it's an awful track, but that little bit that's been sampled is amazing? Mm. Yes, I will concede that that is a good point. There's a few points in the album where there are very easy listening strings, like towards the end on Little Journey, the other tune that has the sample of Madonna's holiday which is genius this is something that i kept reading in reviews of the album that they'd sampled madonna as though this was something more (laughs) difficult than sampling other artists I read an interview with them and they said they bunged it in as a joke and then it just became so much part of the track that they had they had to keep it in even though they didn't really want to. But the rest of Little Journey sounds like Martin Denny or Les Baxter or something like that that's been sampled and I genuinely would prefer to listen to that sort of exotica easy listening rather than the avalanches. I'm a big fan of that kind of thing. But clearly they do have that sort of music in their record collection for them to sample it in the first place. And if they are using it out of you know love for the music rather than it just being some sort of cynical, ironic joke, then yeah, how could I have a problem with that? But I'm not absolutely convinced either way. If you have that much of an encyclopedic knowledge of music, 
that you're actually cynical about it i think if you're that into it you you just love it yeah. yeah fair enough but i don't think that you need an encyclopedic knowledge of music in order to go through lots of records in order to choose stuff to sample i think there comes a point though where if you're going to go find three and a half thousand samples there's got to be a love element to that otherwise it's just a tedious exercise okay yeah. but is yeah. a love of music or is it a love of sampling this is my point there's a difference between engineering and art and i'm not saying that there's a problem with them being amazing engineers I'm just saying that incredible, amazing genius that their work is, I don't really want to listen to it. <laughs> Getting back to Frontier Psychiatrist, it is it's one of the more catchier tunes on the album, but one of the better tunes on the album. I also find it quite amusing on the first listen, but I don't think that the joke stands up to repeated listening. I'm not sure it's just funny though. I think that the rhythm that they create with such a diversity of samples is great. It just works so well. You know, just the the gunshot, the horse, the vocal, it comes together. It, it's alchemy. But it is also designed to be amusing and it is amusing on the first listen. But I'm sure that Ernie, the fastest mailman in the West, was as well. <laughs> no, that was never funny. No, I, no I, I thought that was funny, and I still do. I stand by uh -huh. it. There you um, go, Chris. That's you putting your place. I don't think this is a one-trick pony. Pony, like it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. For me, it stands the test of time. The two tracks that follow Frontier Psychiatrist, Ito and Summer Crane, are just lovely. They're just very chilled out, relaxed, quite sparse. There's a bit going on there, but they're just lovely, lovely tunes. That's the light and shade that you're getting. You've got the madness in your face of Frontier Psychiatrist and then drops right back with those two. It's kind of like Ibiza kind of sundowner tunes and then it kicks off again. Well, yes, it's quieter, but there's no space around the music. There's noise all the time. It's really claustrophobic. I think. It's got a bass line and some percussion and a vocal. That's one less thing the most conventional bands have got going on. <laughs> but it's on. not a bass line and a vocal. It's a sample of a bass line and a sample of a vocal. And it's not like recording instruments, recording a band where there is silence surrounding the instruments. When you take the sample of something else, it brings with it its own baggage. It brings other noise. And then when you layer one sample on top of another, top of another, even though that noise is quiet, it still all adds up. And to my ears, it makes it into a very claustrophobic sound. Your mileage may vary. No, and I'll agree with Chris. I think it's got space in there. Yeah, Philistines. E-T-O-H. Boring and repetitive, a bit like my complaints about this album. <laughs> <laughs> right, how are we gonna are we gonna wrap this up? How are we gonna wrap this up? Do we feel we've done with it or is there anything else we wanna still Well I'd like to say that the last track, let's just go to the last track. Extra Kings, 
it's awful. That's the only point where it's separate from the rest of the mix, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, don't like it at all. Oh, okay. We talk about a good starter and maybe something just before you flip the vinyl over and then we get the last track. This isn't a great last track for me. Convince me, Chris. It's the only point where the continuous mix stops. You get a pause and then you get extra kings. So was it ever intended to be part of the album? Did the album end at Live at Domino's and then this was just bunged on at the end? Extra kings does hark back to the first track though, doesn't it? It does a little bit, yeah. But I just wonder why they've decided to stop, have a silence and then start a standalone track. It's the only standalone track in the album, Mm. is my point. My question is why? It's, it's not It's not explained unless we can explain it. Added as an afterthought? Maybe. Does anyone have any further observations about the album they'd like to share? I'd like to point out in diners only that they seem to have located one of REM's missing apostrophes. <laughs> <laughs> that joke's dedicated to all our loyal listeners, if indeed we have any. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got a listener. Stuart, hello. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Stuart. Stuart was very taken by your enthusiasm for green last time around, Al. Oh, I'm glad someone um, was. <laughs> yeah. It prompted him to go and re-engage with REM, he said. Well, that's not Good a bad man. thing. Well, that's all I ask. Job done. Even though I'm bitching and moaning about this album, I do hope that people will go and actually listen to it and make their own mind up about it. Sorry, I, I, I misquoted him. Thumbs up to Al's green enthusiasm, making me reminisce teenage REM love. Oh, that's nice. That's nice, isn't it? That's nice. That's all we're trying to do. Let's wrap up on this one, and I'm going to give the last sound to Nick. To me? The last yeah. sound? Wow, okay. I'm hoping this is going to be a gigantic foghorn. <laughs> I know. It can take us into <laughs> the <Only>. next section. <laughs> it's good background soundtrack music, I think. I appreciate the ingenuity, but thinking about sample-based music around that time, there were other things going on that I think are better, clever. I'm quite interested in rap music and there was more interesting things happening around about that time than this album. So I'm a bit meh about it, to be honest. Did any of you watch the Mary Whitehouse experience when it was on TV? Yes. Yes. Do you remember the sketch about the equally talented vocal duo Shakespeare's sister? (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm not sure I do. Well, I'll put a link in the episode description. Oh, please do. Al, your final words on the album? Uh, I think I said all I should say. I don't like being horrible about other people's music. And I don't like this album, but I do recognise what an amazing piece of work it actually is. Apart from anything else, you've got to respect the sheer amount of work that's gone into making it. I mean, you, you have to respect that. It's not my cup of tea, but no album is everyone's cup of tea. And I take my hat off to them. It's incredibly impressive, and I'm sorry I don't like it. Chris, any last words? Where I started, I think it sounds like a good party that I'd quite like to go to. Yeah, I like that. I still love it. Al, what would be your favourite track? Oh, God, I think I'll go with Avalanche Rock because it's the shortest one. (laughs) (laughs) Chris? I don't know. Summer Crane. Oh, I didn't expect that one. No, nor did I. (laughs) Nick? Nick, is there a track off this that you would put your... Since I left you. Since I left you. He's only listened to the first song off it. (laughs) (laughs) Were I to choose that, um, definitely Since I Left You, and also how that went down into the next track, Stay Another Season. If you were to ask me the tick count on this album, it's pretty low. Yeah, tick count. It's 11. But there are bits on it that are worth persevering, in my humble opinion. (laughs) 
Okay, so it's about this time that we um, talk about albums and singles, and Al's going to take us through this. Al, take it away. Thanks, Will. So, how was 2000 for music? How do you remember it, guys? Good year, bad year? Not a vintage year. There are a few highlights for me, but not a great year. Well, there are a few classic albums of the year. Obviously, we've talked about the avalanches at some length. Radiohead released Kid A in 2000, one of the biggest about turns in the history of rock music. There was Eminem's Marshall Mathers LP. There was Coldplay's Parachutes. U2's All That You Can't Leave Behind. The Peach, Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea. There's stuff that I think we'd be quite interested in. The biggest selling album of the year here in the UK was The Beatles One, the compilation of their number one singles, with Robbie Williams, <laughs> Sing When You're Winning, coming in second. <laughs> Eminem was at number three, Westlife were at four, and Play by Moby was at number five. That was 2000, was it? Oh. Yeah. Wow. We had Craig David, Texas, Coldplay, Whitney Houston and Madonna making up the rest of the top ten. Biggest selling single of the year in the UK, Bob the Builder. Can we fix it? Can we fix it? Classic. Yes, we can. Yeah. <laughs> Eminem Stan was second. All Saints, Pure Shores, third. The fourth biggest seller was Who Let the Dogs Out by the Baja Men, which actually wasn't even a number one single. Wow. And number five was It Feels So Good by Sonic. I don't even remember that song. Can any of you actually remind me what it went like? No, no. I cannot. No? Fifth biggest selling single of the year in the UK. What a legacy. <laughs> the Mercury Music Prize was won by Badly Drawn Boy with Arabi Oldebeast, something of a classic. PJ Harvey's Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea was released in 2000, but it won the Mercury the following year. <laughs> it was a good shortlist for the Mercury. It had the Delgados, the Great Eastern on it, a favourite of mine, amongst many others. On the whole, I think a decent year for albums, but perhaps not quite so good for singles. Certainly number one singles anyway. So, Will, let's start with you. What are you calling for your album of the year? Well, I've managed to do it again. Um, somehow I've managed to... Oh, it's going to believe- be Britney, is it? <laughs> believe myself that Leonard Cohen's album was in there, 10 new songs, but it wasn't, 2001. So let's throw that away straight away. And the album I would have chosen anyway would be Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea. A mesmerising album, The Mess We're In, which is collaborated with... Yes, with Tom York. Tom York. Beautiful song. Yeah, it certainly is. When I was in New York in 2000, um, listening to that song, Alone in a Hotel Room, it kind of resonated with me. Being away from somewhere, being on your own from somewhere. And that's when I first heard that song. So, yeah, that's the album for me. Yeah, I can hear that. Solitude in the Big City. That yeah. would make a great soundtrack. And it's a great album as well. Fine choice. Nick, what's your album of the year? Well, Peach would have been right up there, but Six World's gone for that. I'm going to go for Smile by the Jayhawks, which is an album we've talked about before. Yeah, that was a good album. One from our early days, our pre-podcast days. It wasn't an album I fell in love with, but every song on it was good, if I remember rightly. And yeah, good choice. Chris, hit me. One more time. It's going to be Britney, right? If only. If only I could, Al. But we're in separate houses, so it's not possible tonight. My choice, you've already mentioned it. I'm going for Badly Drawn Boy, The Hour of Beast. Came like a breath of fresh music in the midst of fairly turgid times, I seem to remember. A bit shambolic, a bit rambling, but has some absolutely pristinely beautiful tracks there. That's a great choice. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic album. 
Yeah. Saw him at um, Glasgow Union just after it came out. And he'd got a bit of a reputation for not turning up at gigs or turning up about two hours late or breaking the set after about 20 minutes. But he turned up and he played and he was fantastic. And it was a delight to see him win the Mercury that year. Um, I think he was absolutely floored when he won it. I remember him seeing it and going up on the stage and saying this doesn't usually happen to nice people and I think he strikes me as just a nice person. His follow up was the soundtrack to About a Boy which again is a lovely album but very different I think the charm of this first album was its rawness, it was unfinished it was snippets and he kind of became more polished from this point on and lost some of that raw charm but this album was an absolute joy yeah i've never been that taken with any of his later stuff and it's because of what you say it's just a bit too polished but our wildebeest is an absolutely great album love it i watched him do a couple of um lockdown home performances online and he was yeah it was nice to revisit some of those old songs and yeah he's he's still great what's your favorite song on it chris pissing in the wind yeah, Bewilder Beast well. itself. Bewilder yeah. Beast is a lovely tune. Lots of them. Lots of them. Oh, there's loads of great stuff on it. Yeah. I remember the day I bought that album. I bought Bell and Sebastian's Lazy Line Painter Jane EP the same day. Well, it was a few years old at that point, I think. That's a good tune. I lived in London That's at the time tune. and I remember being at a friend's house in Clapham and we stuck our Bewilder Beast on for the first time and the cello yeah. at the start of the shining yeah, yeah. and just like oh my god this is just amazing it's such a beautiful song heartrending oh, it's just great love it i say chris i was slightly expecting you to go for the software slump my granddaddy that was going to be my plan b if someone else jumped on badly drawn by before me there's a couple of albums from 2000 by bands that i really like that i might have gone for except they're not my favorite albums by those bands there's one i mentioned before the great eastern by the delgados but Peloton, their previous album, is very much... Oh, was that out this year? I thought that was, was... I thought it was 99. The other one was Yula Tengo, and then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out, mm. which is actually the first album that I really got into by Yula Tengo. But again, it's not my favourite, and again, it's the previous album. I Can Hear the Heart Beating is one that is my favourite. That is one of my absolutely favourite albums ever. A great album, though. Lovely, beautiful, gentle songs, apart from one piece of the most abrasive guitar noise called Cherry Chapstick. What I am going for, well, I told you guys when I saw you at the weekend that I'd seen this documentary on Welsh folk music, and it's different from Scottish folk music and Irish folk music. And while it didn't inspire me to go and listen to any actual Welsh folk music, it did inspire me to go and listen to some Welsh music. And what I listened to was an album that I hadn't realised came out in 2000. And when I did notice that, I was like, oh, yep, this is the one. It is The Blue Trees by Gorky's Psychotic Monkey. Uh A very short album. It's only got eight songs on it. It's only 23 minutes long. But it's perfectly formed. It's really gentle, quiet, acoustic music for most of its length. Actually quite folky. It's very natural. It's very lo-fi. And it's absolutely gorgeous. Gorky's a really good band. You and I, Nick, I remember, were enthusing recently about their album Spanish Dance Troupe on the podcast. Yes, from the year before. Yeah, and that's a great album too. And part of the reason it's a great album is because there's so much variety on it, so many different things going on. But the Blue Trees just has a more coherent sound to it and it just works better for that reason for me and it is my favourite album by them. And yeah, that's my album of the year for 2000. Good choice, Al. Great choices all round, I think. Number one singles then. 
There yeah, were good, a lot of number one singles in 2000. There were hardly any songs that stayed at number one for more than one week. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot to choose from, but most of it is terrible in my book. <laughs> anyway, let's start with Will again. What's your choice, fella? Destiny's Child, Independent Woman. Absolutely. All day long. What a great song. It was used for the film Charlie's Angels in 2000. And I wouldn't like this song at all if it weren't for the fact that Elbow put a version of this out. It's hilarious and brilliant at the same time. But I actually quite like the song itself. I think it's pretty well done. Independent Woman, part one. Oh, yeah, part one. Part two's rubbish. Part one's a winner, though. Nick, what are you going for? I'm going to go for Spiller, Grugette. I knew Chris was up for that. I, I had a backup just in case Chris went, <laughs> went first and took that one. But For those not on our Zoom call, Chris has just been shaking his fist at Nick. <laughs> God damn you. <laughs> Nick. Yeah, I had a feeling that one of you would go for this one. I thought probably more likely Chris. It's all right, though. Grugette. Yeah, it launched the spectacular Sophie Alice Baxter onto the world, didn't it? She has only done good things during lockdown. Throwing parties in her kitchen. Kitchen discus. Mm. And she's got about 12 kids. Something like that, yeah. 12 kids, yeah. one song. She had quite a few songs after all that. Yeah. Can you name any of the others? Murder on the Dance Floor. Yes, I can. <laughs> I stand corrected. 12 kids, two songs. Right, Chris, if you can't have Groove yet. Thankfully, I had some backups. All Saints, Pure Shores. If only because The Beach was a really good book. The film wasn't quite as good, but that was a good tune. I've got a soft spot for yeah, All Saints. me too. I'm sure I chose Never Never for um, one of these things once as yeah, well. Yeah, you did. They were all right. Oh, it's yeah. difficult, isn't it? Anyway, I don't actually like any of these number ones from 2000. Yeah, it was it was slim pickings, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with you too. Beautiful day, because any other that I might realistically have picked has already gone. So just to keep a bit of variety, you know, pick the same thing. And actually, I mean, Beautiful Day's all right, isn't it? It's not a bad song. Yeah, one of the better mm. U2 number ones, isn't it? Yeah, certainly Post Achtung Baby is one of the better ones. One of the few I know, actually. It seemed that from around this time that every album that U2 released was always hailed as a return to form, and then the next album released was hailed as a return to form. But they went back to basics for this album, didn't they? Um, I've never actually listened to the album, was it? All that you can't I think behind. it was right about that point that I'd really lost interest in U2. Yeah, same here. I actually only know Beautiful Day because it was during that brief period that ITV had the highlights yeah, of the English Premiership yeah. football, and that was a theme music. So it's an okay song. But... Yeah, Slim Pickens for sure. Slim Pickens indeed, yes. Actually, speaking of Slim Pickens, my backup was Gabrielle Rise, which uh, <laughs> samples Knocking on Heaven's Door, which is from the scene where Slim Pickens dies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. So something I noticed about the number one singles in 2000, and as I said, there were very few that spent more than one week at number one, and there were only really two songs that actually spent more than two weeks at number one. One of those is Bob the Builder. Can we fix it? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. We already have, in fact. <laughs> the other one was It Feels So Good by Sonique. I have no recollection of that song at all. Nah. We better stick it on the playlist just so we can remember it. Oh, yeah. That's assuming that it's even on YouTube and hasn't been entirely forgotten. Anyway, that's been the music of 2000. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
1982 formative years long before any of us were even born long <laughs> yeah not, not so much not so much so i've already said i'd found a punk album that uh, was only 20 minutes long with 15 songs and was slightly tempting to choose that just so we could get through it but um, <laughs> <laughs> i decided not to do that and i could have gone scottish because there was lots of interesting Scottish albums that year. There was two by Orange Juice. There was uh, The Associates with Salk. I was swithering about Simple Minds, New Gold Dream. But we've done a Scottish album recently. I'll not go there. There's a great Bruce Springsteen album, Nebraska. But I thought, no, we've done, we've done Bruce. Yeah, we've so done Bruce. I can't really go there. So then it was, what were the big albums? I've spoken a bit on podcasts about how I love Madness. Rise and Fall is not my favourite album. And I couldn't really choose Complete Madness because that's a compilation. That's allowed. Slightly against the spirit of thing. To go for Michael Jackson and Thriller or to go for Duran Duran and all that excess. Then you got Marvin Gaye's final album and stuff. But no, what I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for Joe Jackson, Night and Day. Oh, great choice. I like Joe Jackson, but I hardly know anything by him. Yeah, likewise. I did have Kid Creole, Tropical Gangsters as my other thing. And then, you, well, you said earlier, I really like Tropical. I thought, no, I better not pick that. <laughs> so, Joe, Joe Jackson. Jackson. Stepping Out. Joe Stepping Jackson. Out is yeah. on that album. I'm looking forward to this. This, I think, was his most successful album. Is this an album that you already know, Nick? or is this? I don't know, it, but in 1982, I bought the single Stepping Out. I've listened to other Joe Jackson records, but I've never heard this. So I thought, oh. this is something I want to know about. Excellent. Something new, always mm. good. Something new for all of us. Yep, genuinely interesting choice. Yeah. And it's only got nine songs on it, which is nice. Yeah. Mm. This is a great choice. This is the sort of thing I'd like to think that I'd have chosen, but I also don't actually think that I would have. I'd probably go for something a bit more famous. It's got to number five in both the US and UK charts. I guess it's time to wrap up. Check out the CB Music Club on Acast and all places where you can find podcasts. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on our YouTube channel. Check out our Spotify playlists. You're my hero, Nick. You're my hero as well, Nick. Oh, shucks. It's time to say goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.